So behind this great delusion is their great refusal, and this great refusal results in a great love for sin. And that's why Jesus said, some men will not come to the light. Why? Because they love their evil deeds. We've been looking this week at whether those who have never heard the gospel message are doomed to an eternity in hell. Part of our study in the book of Romans on Search the Scriptures with pastor teacher Dr. Carl Brogy. We've seen that God has placed knowledge of himself in all people through creation and through conscience and that how people respond to what has been revealed to them will determine how much more God manifests himself to them. Our passage is from chapter 1, verses 17 through 22, and as we pick up today, Pastor Carl will note that the important question people should ask is not how much God has revealed himself to people, but what have people done with the revelation he has given them. People develop all kinds of word concepts about God when they reject the light that God has given them. Hold your finger here, would you, and turn to 2 Thessalonians for just a moment. 2 Thessalonians. Um, remember, all the books in the Bible that begin with the letter T, they're all found in the New Testament. So when you hear of a T book, you say New Testament. And they're easy to remember because they go from long to short. The word Thessalonians is longer than the word Timothy and longer than the word Titus. So you have 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then the book of Titus. Now I want you to see what God is going to do during the time of the Great Tribulation period. During the time that the Antichrist is upon the earth. And uh, there's a, a future worldwide prophecy that the Apostle Paul makes that as we'll see in a moment in some respects is even being fulfilled today. But it's going to be fulfilled in a whole scale way and it is an expression of the current dimension of the wrath of God. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, if you look in verse 9, um, he's describing the Antichrist, that great deceiver, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Satan can do miracles. He can do false wonders. Just because a man does a miracle doesn't mean he's a man of God. Everything that is spiritual is not spiritually good. Now notice verse 10, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Some people are not saved, this verse says, because they do not have a love of the truth. Now a man may have a love of the truth and he may have some questions. But they're honest questions. He doesn't know, but he wants to know. But there are some people who don't know and they don't want to know. And when they make that kind of decision, they become the devil's legal prey. And so what we find in verse 11 is the epitome of the biblical principle that we see operating in Romans 1 and that Jesus also speaks of in the Gospels. Look at verse 11. And for this reason, for what reason? Because they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. This is not the devil sending a delusion. This is not the devil deceiving people. This is not the devil making people believe a lie. This is God doing it. This is a current expression of his wrath. And there are times when God allows people to believe lies. You say, how can God delude a person? Doesn't that seem unfair? The answer is given plainly here in the context. These people are deluded 
because they had an opportunity to receive and respond to the gospel, but they did not. And so verse 11 begins, and for this reason, looking back to verse 10, that they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And so behind this great delusion is their great refusal, and this great refusal results in a great love for sin. And that's why Jesus said, some men will not come to the light. Why? Because they love their evil deeds. Love. Same word love used in John 3.16. Agapao. It speaks of a willful love because they willfully love their sin. God judicially hardens their heart. And so verse 12 says, they took pleasure in wickedness. The opposite of truth is not error. It is wickedness. So when a person says, I don't want to become a Christian because I love my sin so much, there comes a point where they wear the forbearance and patience of God out and God says, all right, you can have your sin and with your sin you will believe a lie and it's all a part of my righteous judgment. I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it is a dangerous thing when God shows you something about himself and you refuse to do nothing with it. This chapter is illustrating the principle of Romans chapter 1. And so when a person does not have a love of the truth, when a person suppresses the truth in their unrighteousness, God says, if you will persistently reject and resist my truth, then I will judge you right now with my wrath. And so Jesus spoke of a time when the sower goes out to sow seed and on one soil the devil is given permission to snatch the seed from the heart. Why? So that they may not believe, he said, and be saved. A hardening of the heart results in a darkening of the heart. And when a man goes away from truth long enough, God eventually gives him a shove. It's frightening. But it is the wrath of God that is being revealed. And there are some people in the darkness of midnight spiritually go in the direction and continue to go in that direction because of a choice in the heart that they make. Light rejected brings all kinds of false and weird beliefs. And by the way, this doesn't just happen to people who are engaged in idolatry like those described in Romans 1. It can happen to a people in a church like this. I've seen it happen in my ministry of some 30 years. I've seen people hear the truth and do nothing. They hear God's word that they ought to be saved. But they do nothing. Or maybe the pastor says, listen, you need to love people unconditionally, whatever their ethnicity, and they say, I don't like that. Or the pastor teaches you ought not to drink and get drunk. Or you ought to get the filth out of your mind that you feed on. Or you ought to get the adulteress out of your bed. And they say, I don't like that. Or the pastor maybe is preaching on money because half of all Christ's parables deal with the subject of money. And he goes home and he says, money, 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 money. That's all they ever talk about down at that church. And so now he has found an excuse where he will not listen. And so he's at home one Sunday and he's watching his television, drinking his Budweiser, and there's a knock on the door. And it's some cult. And they said, oh, we're a religious group here in the community. And we have wonderful news for you. Do you know that there is no hell? He said, come in, please. And before you know it, he has embraced that particular religion. You say he's sincere. Yes, he is. Sincerely wrong. Sincerely deluded. Because he did nothing with the truth. He believed a lie. 
It's part of God's righteous judgment. Go to John chapter 12 for just a moment. John 12. I want you to see how this principle is being illustrated even in the day which we live. Jesus spoke of it. You can't be neutral, Jesus taught about the truth. Because when a man does nothing with the truth long enough, he sets himself up for a current expression of God's wrath. Look at John 12 and notice what he says for a little while longer. Verse 35, Jesus therefore said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. Uh, Jesus is applying this principle to himself. He is going to physically, in a short time, literally as the light of the world, be removed from the earth. But he also points to the fact that if we do not use the light that God gives us, that we will lose that light. We'll be overcome with darkness. And again, it's a principle that runs all the way through Scripture. So he exhorts them, walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Those in darkness do not know where they are going. They stumble about in the darkness. And of course, that's true not only in the physical realm, it's true, Jesus says, here in the spiritual realm. So he's asking them to act on the light, the revelation that God has given them. Notice, while you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. The Lord Jesus is exhorting them to respond to the light. By believing in the light, he's asking them to trust him to become sons of light and become there as an heiress tense in the Greek New Testament. And it indicates a once and for all decision. You don't become a believer by a degree, a son of light at a definite period of time becomes the son of light. He is transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And when he speaks here of a son of light, it's a Semitic expression, a Hebraism. It describes a definitive quality in a person's life. So for instance, when James and John are described by Jesus as sons of thunder, what was he saying? They were thunderous men. When Jesus was asked, are you the son of God? He said, yes, I am. Caiaphas tore his robes and said he blasphemed. Why? Because he was claiming to be God the son. And so when a man becomes a son of light, when he is converted, light floods and fills his soul. And so when he refers here to the sons of light, these are not people who show a slight interest in the light. These are people who have been so characterized and revolutionized by the light that he calls them a son of light. Look, there's a lot of people today who say, I am a son of light, I am a born-again Christian, but they are not characterized by that. And unfortunately, they are deceiving themselves. It is impossible to be illuminated by the Spirit of God and not have your life change. Now, you may not understand everything that you, need, that you want to understand to become a Christian, but like I told one gentleman this week, you understand you're a sinner? Yes. You understand that Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead for you? Yes. Then God is not obligated to show you anything else. He may, he may answer more of your questions, but he is not obligated to show you any more than what he has already given you, and he asks you to respond in faith. Notice verse 36. John adds, these things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. This was his last public appeal to the Jewish people. They go to the temple next, the next day looking for him, but he doesn't show up that day. And the next time they see him is when nails are being driven through his hands and his feet. 
And then John gives kind of a parenthetical note, letting us know what this spirit of unbelief does and that it was spoken of and predicted hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. But though, verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs, it's the word semion, you could translate it miracle, but John translates it, he uses the word semion and we translate it sign because it's a special word for miracle. It's a miracle with a message. And though they'd seen so many miracles with a message that should have elicited faith, they should have known these are the miracles the Messiah was promised to do. They, like so many, persisted in unbelief and they ignored his credentials. Yes, not only did they have the witness of creation, not only did they have the witness of conscience, not only did these Jewish people have the witness of Scripture, they had the witness of the very miracles performed in front of their eyes, and they did nothing. So verse 39 says, For this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He, that is God, has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. They would not, so they could not. The harvest was past. The summer was ended. The sun is set. It was all over for them. Mark it down, friends. You resist truth long enough, and there will be a judicial hardening of your hearts. Don't test the patience of God Almighty. When God begins to work in your heart, there's an urgency to respond. Principle number one, all men everywhere have some light. Principle number two, light refused increases darkness. Principle number three, light obeyed increases light. If a man will respond to the light that God has given him, God will give him more light. Light obeyed increases light. Look at verse 17 of Romans 1. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God tells me that there is a righteousness that is revealed. Circle that word revealed and underline the word faith to faith. How does a man come to believe in the gospel? Step by step from faith to faith. If a person will respond to the light that God has given him, then God will give him more light. And when he responds to that light, God will ultimately give him the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you ask, how can God be just by sending someone to hell for having never believed in a Savior in whom he has never heard? Here's how God's justice is seen. God says if a man has light, he will give him more light. And if he responds to that light, he'll give him more light. And eventually the light of the gospel of Christ, as 2 Corinthians speaks of. Listen. There are some men who never get a knowledge of the gospel because they will not respond to the light that they have. And so Jesus exhorted them in John 12, walk while you have the light. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you might become sons of light, lest, he said, the darkness overwhelm you. And so when a person says, I know there's a God, I see him in creation, I feel him in my conscience. I want to know and respond to this God. Then God obligates himself to give that person more light. Listen, if God has to cause an airplane to wreck and have a man parachute out of an airplane to bring him the gospel, he'll do it. We had a missionary just recently. Vince and I were speaking with him in the missions cave, and he was telling us about how in one Muslim country where they were working, some people were having dreams. 
And some people walked a couple of days. God didn't give them the dream of the gospel and the dream. He never does that. But he gave them a dream that they ought to come to a certain place and they didn't know why. And they, they walked some people for three days and they got there and they saw the Jesus film and they became believers in Jesus Christ. God will move heaven and earth to bring the gospel to a man whose heart is open. In Acts 8, remember the Ethiopian eunuch? who was religious, but he was lost, and he's on his way home from the city of Jerusalem, and he actually owns a, a, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It's the longest of all the prophets in the Old Testament, and he's right in that section that deals with what Messiah is going to do, like an eyewitness at the cross 700 years before. He describes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in great detail, even before crucifixion was thought up. And yet he doesn't know what it means. And so God brings this preaching deacon, Philip, who's up in the north in Samaria and doing a great work for God. And God has him leave, he doesn't know why, to talk to one individual. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? And God opens the word up through Philip and he believes and he's saved. And then as a symbol, he's baptized. Remember in Acts 10, Cornelius. Cornelius, unlike many of his Roman compatriots and the army, did not worship the uh, gods of Rome. He responded to the light that he had, and so God gave him more light. The Jews described him as a devout man, as one who feared God, as one who, who gave alms, one who prayed to God. And yet Acts 11 and verse 14 says he wasn't yet saved. And so what does God do? God gives him a, 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 he sends him an angel. And this angel says, listen, go to this place called Joppa and you're going to meet a fellow by the name of Peter. And at the same time, Peter is up on this rooftop and he has this glorious dream and God's teaching him something about some problems in his own heart in dealing with the nations of the world. And he said, downstairs there's a fellow and I want you to go and I want you to speak to him. So he goes to the man's house and there's Cornelius with all of his friends and he gives them the gospel and he's saved. Second Chronicles says, the good Lord pardons everyone who sets his heart to seek God. Jeremiah the prophet said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Again, I am convinced wherever a man is on the face of the earth, whether he is in the steamy jungles of the Amazon or at the polar ice caps, God will move heaven and earth to give him the gospel. God obligates himself. Light responded to brings more light. But understand, God practices what he preaches. He told me as a Christian in Matthew 7 and verse 6 that there is a time to withhold the gospel pearl. There's a time not to share the gospel with a person when there's such disdain and utter rejection for holy things. Don't share it. And God will sometimes do the same. Some people never, ever, ever hear the gospel, not because God isn't loving and compassionate and caring about their souls. It's because they will not respond to the truth that they have. And if a man won't respond to the most general of all revelation, what makes us think that he will respond to the specific revelation of the gospel? And so he goes to hell for having rejected the plain truth that God has given him. Now quickly, let me bring this in for a landing. Principle number four, all people will be judged by the light they have. All people will be judged by the light they have. The judgment of hell is based on the light a man has. And it will be worse for some people than for others. Some people have more light, more revelation, more information. Not necessarily because they sought it 
but because in the sovereignty of God, he allowed them to be born in a certain place. Some people live here in South Carolina, and they've heard the gospel preached from this pulpit. Others are listening to me today over the radio or on television or through CD or DVD. And there are some people who in the sovereignty of God have been brought under the call of the gospel. Other people just by virtue of the fact that you live in America. I mean, we have more translations in our tongue to make the Bible understandable than any other nation on the earth. There's Bible tracts, there's TV programs, there's radio broadcasts, wherever you look. You say, does God take that into consideration? You better believe he does. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Jot down Luke 12, 47 and 48. I'll not read the whole parable. Let me bring it to the highlight. And that slave, Jesus said, that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. The Lord, of course, is using an illustration from the day as to how masters deal with their slaves. And he does that to drive home a spiritual truth. But don't push the meaning of the parable beyond what's taught in the rest of Scripture. Wherever Jesus describes hell, he describes it as an intolerable place. But somehow, in the perfect justice of God, just like heaven will not be the same for every Christian, though glorious and wonderful, hell will not be the same for every lost person. So Jesus says in the next verse, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required into whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Now listen, I would not be a good pastor if I did not tell you the truth about what God says of the coming judgment. You know, it's one thing to die and to go to hell as some native in Papua New Guinea. It's quite another thing to die and go to hell sitting in this church where a man of God opens the word of God and then the spirit of God delivers it to you week after week after week and you do absolutely nothing with it. You think it will make a difference? I'm telling you it will. When you say, I don't want him, I'm not interested in him, God takes it all into account and the same truth he honed in Matthew 11. Listen, then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And then he said, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained until this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for you. If they had the revelation you had, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And of course, the judgment they did receive, the Bible elsewhere in the New Testament tells us is a picture of the coming eternal judgment in the lake of fire. And yet for some people, hell will be worse than what the Sodomites will know. It plainly teaches in the Word of God to those who have the most light, the most revelation, they will be worse off in the lake of fire. If you choose to go to hell, I hope you don't choose to go to hell from a church like this. Listen, the burning question of the day is not what God will do with the person who's never heard the name of Jesus. The burning question is what God is going to do to those of you who have heard and never responded. All men have some light. 
Light refused bring doc- brings darkness. Light responded to brings light. And in the end, God will judge you in hell according to the light you've received. Now, what can we learn from this passage? Three applications. Number one, God doesn't send the untold billions to hell for having rejected a Savior in whom they have never heard. He sends them to hell for rejecting the revelation he has given them. And so number one, the unevangelized billions are lost. They are desperately lost. And I've heard all kinds of silly, unscriptural, heretical ways in which to answer this question. And the tendency sometimes, not just of non-Christians, but of Christians, is to make man a little more sincere and searching than he really is, and to make God a little less holy and just than he really is. But before we're done with this section of Romans, God will smash every notion where we try to bring man up and drag God down. Only the God-man can rescue a person from the wrath to come. Secondly, in addition to the fact that the untold billions are, are lost, I learned the fact that, that, that the fact that they are lost does not change my responsibility. The fact that the untold billions are lost does not change my responsibility one bit to evangelize them. I am to evangelize the lost, and if you've been saved, you are called as well. And I certainly hope you won't miss the next couple of weeks and the opportunity God will give us in this season of the year. But understand, there is not a single line in the Word of God that God can save a person apart from a human agent. Whether it's a human agent who translated the Bible or a human agent who explains the Bible, God uses a human agent. We've talked about the great lengths that God goes to in order to secure the salvation of a single soul. But we must never forget that while God is sovereign in salvation, God opens the heart, God draws a man. He is nonetheless the same God who imparts vision from his word as to what our responsibility is. And we are to obey. Third and finally, I've already hammered it home, but let me say it again. God will judge according to the light that men have. When I was 18 years old, I heard the gospel for the first time and I realized I was not living up to the light I had and I deserved to go to hell and I deserved to burn hot. If I had died, I would have gone to hell. But I'm so glad I am not going that God opened up my blind eyes and rescued me. I'm so glad that somebody wrote some sloppily handwritten sign of a meeting and I was the only one that night that responded to that sign and it resulted in my coming to find Christ. Friend, for some of you this may be the last day, the last church service, the last hour that you will ever have a chance. And if I were here today and I said, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven, but I don't know. Before this day is over, I would get right. Because God can turn the light off and you can be overwhelmed with darkness. The devil can take the seed out of your heart that you may not believe and be saved because you've tested the patience of God. Today is the day of salvation. God warns us not to harden our hearts. So will you respond today? Will you respond now? To listen again to today's message from Romans chapter 1 entitled, Are the untold billions really lost? Use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 
787-7478 and request program ROM4. As we've mentioned, our Search the Scriptures trip to Israel has been postponed from October of this year to May of 2022. We still have room for about 15 people, but you must register by February. Get all the details at stsisraeltour.com. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy begins An Anatomy of a Sinner as we continue our study in Romans and search the Scriptures.